the number one barrier to having success in business is having a business. Mm -hmm. You have to start. You can't have success unless you start. Stephen Carter. You have built Australia's largest privately owned recruitment business. I started in a room like this. It cost me $100 a week. I had a laptop. I didn't even buy CRM. Our costs were basically nil. And we've grown from seven people to 180 people in 10 years. I've seen many organizations, value sessions, leadership principles, how do we want to be treated, all those sorts of things. And the moment of truth comes. Lots of organizations say they care about their people. They care about their people as employees. They care about whether their people enjoy their jobs, whether they have a good work environment, whether they're paid reasonably. That's all good stuff to care about. Like we care about that too. But the number one factor in someone's performance at work is how life is going for them outside of work. We care about our people as human beings. Businesses will only grow at the speed to how much trust there is in their organisation. Mm -hmm. There's no way we could grow at 42% per annum without lots and lots of trust. Stephen Carter. Good to see you, mate. Yeah, good to see you. I'm excited about this one because I've had a, a little glimpse on the inside of your business over a number of years, mm -hmm. and uh, that's a bit of a privilege for me. But um, I might uh, lay the platform for the average viewer. Um, no a lot of our, 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 our followers are looking into the inside of um, you know, the achiever, and uh, I think one of the huge achievements you have amongst many is you have built a, alongside of your team uh, you know, Australia's largest privately owned recruitment business. Yes. That's uh, not easy, if you ask me. Uh, and I've had the luxury of spending a bit of time in the game too. So today I'm really keen to unpack that. There's there's all these facets and there are some things that I uh, have, yeah, as I say, had the privilege of getting to learn about you over the years um, that make that work. Yep. But that secret sauce, if I get the chance today, I think if we can put it on the table and play around with it a bit, that would be the goal, mate. Let's give it a go. Let's give it a go. So maybe before we kick off, one of the things I find really interesting about you, Steve, is you didn't leave, you know, your your job to have this ambition with an ambition to, to build this type of business, right? It didn't start that way, did it? Not at all. Can you, can you kind of unpack that for me? Yeah. I was with a, a large recruitment corporate, um, Michael Page, and I was uh, effectively – Sort of shuffled sideways during the global financial crisis, and and um, you know landed in a job that was sort of not really well suited to me, and and um, you know I was recruiting IT roles into banking clients during the global financial crisis. Yeah, and, tough gig. And the, the <laughs> banks were saying, I was calling them up, saying, "Oh, you know, how many, what jobs do you have on for me to help with?" And they were saying, "Have you not heard, mate? It's a, it's a global financial crisis. We're not recruiting. We don't even know whether we're going to survive this." And uh, so I uh, I met a few other recruitment firms and thought, and no one really inspired me uh, to want to join them. And and I thought. Oh, if I'm going to start again by developing a whole new set of relationships into banking, because I've never never recruited into banking before, I may as well give this a go myself. And and I had a 
a two-year-old and my wife was pregnant with my second child and and well, our second child and and my only ambition was really just to hopefully feed them you know yeah. earn a wage that could support us yeah. and you know I, I think i think i i didn't have zero ambition i thought if i could get it to be maybe six people okay which was about the size of the team that i had at michael page mm -hmm. um that would be a great result for me yeah interesting so it's you still were playing in that mindset of what did felt controllable well felt safe yeah but at the same time i would imagine two-year-old you know your wife there people still would have thought you're crazy in the middle of gfc oh absolutely yeah i was insane um we, we were lucky the the economy bounced back quite quickly in australia due to commod the commodities boom um so it wasn't as bad as what it you know as everyone predicted but uh but yeah, I spoke to lots of people. I spoke to my current business partner, um, Keezy, and he said, mate, no, like, this, this is mad. I'm not going to come out and start a business <laughs> with you. a safe job, mate. Yeah, what are you yeah, doing? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it starts there. And, and there's a reason I wanted to start there because it's, it's interesting. A lot of, um, the journeys that we've unpacked and also the, those that I work with in, in our business, they're not, they're not that linear, right? They're not always mm. like, okay, well, I set out to be the greatest in the world and I became that. It just, there's there's things that happen that inspire you along the way so you know you went out with a business partner at the time mm -hmm. um that's the, the sharp yep. in the carter mm -hmm. sharp and carter yeah. right so um and that lasted for a period of time but you know things have transitioned from there can you unpack a little bit about how that all played out the, the baseline of where you started yeah well i think the uh, a quote that i read about it was an article in the newspaper and it was about two Australian guys that had developed, I think it was a mapping product that they sold to Google for a couple of hundred million dollars. Mm. And they interviewed them and they said, those guys said the number one barrier to having success in business is having a business. Mm -hmm. You have to start. You, have to you can't have success unless you start. And that resonated with me that, mm. uh, that let's start it and then we'll see what happens. Yeah. And I still talk about this to this today. You have to survive before you can thrive. Mm. You have to exist. Mm. And then good things might happen. You might attract the right person. You know, for me, to your point, um, four years in, I had a very amicable split with, with Tim, um, the sharp and, and I brought on Christian Keogh and Anthony Holdstock. And we were only a seven person business. Mm. Um, but that was a real catalyst for what has then happened since. And we've grown from seven people to 180 people in 10 years. But without Tim, without starting, none of that would have ever happened. When I look at the Sharp and Carter brand and you just use two different names, you know, Anthony and Keezy yep. come in. And then we look at 180 people, right? Yep. So I'm sort of going to go, go fast forward a little bit further now. What does it tell, tell you about your business? Right. And let's go back and look at the stories in this as we go along. Mm -hmm. But what's it tell you about your business when Tim Sharp, who no longer exists after four years in the business, is still has his name on the wall. Yep. Right. And two other business partners join in spite of that. Yep. With no ego, no attachment to that, and play on anyway. Yep. Tell yep. me a bit about that. Well, uh it was win win for for both Anthony. Christian and myself, because I had a business that was making money, um, and uh, I had and and 
what that and we had a database and we had candidates on that database and you know we had a brand name that was reasonably a brand name we we'd been around four years but we weren't unknown by that stage mm-hmm. with lots of people um the thing for lots of businesses and including but particularly in recruitment we don't have anything in recruitment apart from people. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no barriers to entry to start a recruitment business. I started in a room like this room that we're holding the podcast in and um, it cost me $100 a week. I had a laptop. I didn't even buy a CRM. Our costs were basically nil. Yeah. And um, so there's no barriers to entry, but there's a massive barrier to growing a recruitment business because you need to be able to hire staff. Mm-hmm. And when staff are... Uh, uh, are thinking about which organization am I going to join, one of the factors in that decision is going to be who can provide me a career path. And when you're two people sitting in a serviced office, you can talk about your plans <laughs> for a career path, but you've got no examples yeah. of that. Yeah. And so that's why 99% of recruitment firms in Australia are less than 25 people mm. because it's very, very difficult to hire staff. And what happened when Anthony and Christian came on board, they had a team of people from Michael Page that that were willing to follow them. And I had a business that could afford and the cash flow to pay them. Mm. Because when I started, I didn't have that cash flow. I didn't have, you know, $500,000 sitting in the bank and could guarantee wages for a year, for the first year in that build phase. Yes. So um, it worked. It was a real perfect storm. And once we got it over 20 people, then you can then you can you've got you've got some hope in the battle of mm. uh convincing people you can provide a career path yeah okay because uh you can say look at person a they they started here and now they're doing this and this is what their income has started at and this is what their income is now mm. and then so once we got over 20 people we were over that hump and then we were able to to scale from there interesting so you get these this critical mass that get it comes over this additional team on top of what you've already created. You've built that that baseline and been able to sustain that. Yep. But I still am curious, right? So Sharp and Cardo exists and two two founders or two two partners come in. Yep. They bring their team. Mm-hmm. Um, what attracted them to working alongside you, right? Yeah. Well, uh initially it was the relation, the strength of the relationship that Tim, that's sorry, Anthony and Christian had. Mm. Um, but really our business, business's success generally is built on our employer value proposition. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that's evolved over time. But where it started was when Christian and Anthony came on board, you obviously do some strategic planning and you, 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 you go off site for a day and discuss what are we trying to achieve here? Yeah. What are we trying to build? And, Christian said, I'd love to build a business where I could treat people consistently with my own values. I can treat people as I'd like to be treated. Yeah, nice. Anthony said, I said, I wanted to create a business that I would have loved to have worked within when I wasn't the owner. I was, you know, I was a, a staff, yeah, yeah, an employee. And Anthony said, I want to be the best employer in Australia. Now, he's the more sort of ambitious of the three of us. Um, and uh, and from that point, really, when we uh, when we had problems that we needed to solve, we ran the solutions for those problems mm. through the lens of those goals that we'd set. And in a recruitment business, all of your problems are about people mm-hmm. because there is nothing more to the business than people. It's like your business, 
right? Mm, and um, so, for example, we had a, a gentleman who joined us and six weeks after joining us, he got very, very sick. He had a lung infection that went to his brain. Um, he was in intensive care for two weeks and he was off work for about three months. Now, the problem there, apart from the, <laughs> the obvious health issues, health issues yeah, yeah. that he might die, but the problem there is um, after six weeks of employment, he had one sick day accrued. Mm. He, was, he had a lease on a flat. He was going to lose his bond. He was going to break his lease. He was supporting his girlfriend who was studying full-time. She was going to have to move home to regional New South Wales. Mm. Um, and when we sat down to analyse the solutions to that problem, we thought about, okay, if this was a business I would have loved to have worked within, what would that business do? Mm -hmm. if, the, if we were treating him consistently with our own values, if we were treating him as we'd like to be treated, what would we do? And if we were the best employer in Australia, what would we do? On that basis, we paid him for every day that he was off. Now, that guy now is married to the, the, the woman that he was supporting who was studying full-time. He's a equity owner and partner in the business. And the folklore that that creates within your business is, is valuable. It's immeasurable, Absolutely. the value. Absolutely. And, um, but really that was the sort of genesis of stumbling across because we didn't think, well, this is the perfect way to, to run a business. No. We just thought, well, how does this business reflect us? What, mm. um, what kind of business would we be proud of? What kind of leaders do we want to be? And um, and what we stumbled across is every recruiter and, you know, Brad, you've had some time in recruitment and you know every recruiter knows that recruitment is a game of relationships, mm. that when a client is needs to recruit externally, they're going to think about, um, okay, who do I know that could help me to recruit this role? Mm. Who knows me? Who knows my culture? Who knows um, the people in my team? Who knows the types of people I like to hire? And importantly, who knows the talent available in the marketplace? Totally. And um, and on that basis, they'll pick someone who they have a relationship with. But every recruitment firm knows that. What we've stumbled across through just really um, uh, these goals is that if recruitment is a game of relationships, um, relationships are not held by corp corporations or organizations. Mm -hmm. They're held by individuals. individuals. Mm. You know, you, I have a relationship with you. You have a relationship with Damien in, in my business. Um, but if I lose Damien, I'll probably lose the relationship. And um, so in order to retain relationships that you have with customers, you, the first step or the most important step is you need to retain the individuals that have those relationships. Yeah, totally. And if you want to retain those relationships, um, uh, really those goals are a start. And, and what those goals led to was we stopped being a sort of organisation that was focused on profit. Mm. And we started being, when we, when we were using those goals to solve problems, we started being an organisation that put our people first and put our people mm. before our profit. And putting people first is a really good place to start if you want to retain people. Completely. It's also difficult to do, I'd imagine. Mm. Really complex. Uh, because there's a commercial natural requirement to run a business and make money and the decision you made leaning into that first decision about the gentleman with the, the lung issue. Right? Yeah. 
um, that moment of truth. I've seen many organizations, values sessions, you know, leadership principles, how do we want to be treated, all those sorts of things. And the moment of truth comes mm. and you have to ask yourself, is that you know, really what we are going to do here? You know, yeah. can you tell us a little bit about the times where you've gone, oh, that might feel hard, but we did it anyway. I mean, that's another, that's one example. Are there, are there times where you've gone commercially, this doesn't actually make sense? Or have you always gone, no, people first, the commercials will look after itself. So how does you psychologically, how do you think through that? Mm. Well, uh, and I often get this question, is it chicken or the egg? Are you able to behave this way because you make money? Mm. But if you didn't make money, you wouldn't be able to behave this way. Mm. Is it, is it, is it the chicken what like that, yeah. or is it we make money because we behave this way, and um, and we are constantly challenged by whether it's by by individual instances and whether they're commercial, mm. because um, we there are lots and lots of examples where we have behaved this way. We have put people first, and that person has. Um, lost us money. Mm. On the whole, by constantly putting people before profit, it's incredibly profitable. Mm. We've grown at 43% per annum every year for 10 years on average. It's incredibly profitable. But I think I, I recruit for lots of organizations and I talk about my own and lots of leaders say, yeah, we used to do that stuff. We used to, um, you know, we used to let everyone work from home. We used to um, uh, be very generous. But these guys, you know what they did? They took advantage of it and they broke our trust so we can't do it anymore. Interesting. Right? Mm. And, um, and we've had that too. We've had people do the wrong thing in empowering them and trusting them and being good to them and they've taken advantage of us. But that doesn't mean it's wrong because we've had a couple of instances of that mm. because on the whole it's been a key driver of our success mm. so uh you know i've had people i've had someone steal from me but that doesn't mean i've changed mm. but lots of people that would yeah totally. we can no longer you know offer any of these benefits and we have to be a lot stricter with our commercials you know etc don't get me wrong. It's not like you don't learn from it and you don't change. You don't you don't tweak. But the overlying philosophy of putting people first hasn't changed. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's that's um, you know, that's the reality of this sort of conversation. I, I think that's really powerful. Is that you know, the human instinct is to to actually dwell and focus on the negative. Mm. You know, it's like, wow, protect myself first. Yeah. Um, do you, when you sit in a leadership meeting or management meeting and you, you guys are talking about these instances, what tends to come up? What sort of conversation evolves? I'm, I would imagine if something like stealing from our organisation has occurred, there's a there might be an initial emotional reaction to the situation. What, yep. what sort of journey does the the conversation look like at Sharp and Carter when those sorts of instances happen? Well, I think I was talking about this yesterday with with Christian and Anthony. I can't imagine doing this myself, by myself. Mm. There's an incredible power in having others that are there with you to help you on that journey. Because as human beings, we we are emotional mm. and you do react 
But when you've got two other people that are perhaps in a better state of mind and bit, you know, just been on a holiday and they're zen and calm, they can go, all right, Cats, I know you're upset, but just let's just, you know, let's just keep this in context of the big picture. So I and you know, another part of the success is we're an employee-owned firm. Mm -hmm. There's 35 equity owners at, yeah. at Sharp and Carter. Um, you know, we're structured like a law firm or a chartered accounting firm. Mm. Um, so I think that that uh, is really important because you do. If it was just if it was just a sole CEO, a sole owner, I, I just can't imagine how lonely and sort of um, difficult that would be. Yeah, I, I don't, I'd imagine you uh, you need it, and and at the same time, there's a lot to be said about wanting to take people in around you. Right? Yeah, it can be very safe to go alone. Yeah, there's a lot more control. There's a yeah. lot more, uh, you know, sense of ability to to pull the the, the reins when you need to pull the reins. Yeah. Um, tell us a bit about that. We're gonna I'm gonna change gears in a minute. Yeah. But I'd love to hear about why you've why you elected to to bring partners in so early, and yeah. why you why you decided you needed that around you. Um, well, at a sort of commercial level, uh, recruitment as a business doesn't have a huge amount of value as an enterprise. Mm. Um, you don't have equipment, you don't have sort of a, a recipe or a, a patent, you don't have um, uh, manufacturing facilities, um, a fleet, etc. cetera. Um, but it's a great cash generating business. Mm. And recruiters can sit there and say, you know, good recruit, the best recruiters will bill anywhere between $800,000 and $1.2 million in a year. And um, just like me, there's a temptation to sit there and say, okay, from this $800,000 a year that I bill, I get paid three hundred and fifty. And if I leave and start up under my own banner, I might not bill eight hundred, but maybe I'll bill six hundred and yep. boom, I just gave myself a $200,000 pay rise. And um, so the equity commercially is important because you close that gap mm. between what they, you know, there is no no longer a financial incentive to do it on your own yeah and then you've got all the other added benefits of well you're not doing it on your own you won't be lonely you're doing it here with a group of people and you've got lots of different challenges and your career advances yes you're not just a recruiter forever and um but i think you know there's four pillars to our culture and um we we retain people by putting them first. We retain them with our structure, mm -hmm. that, that sort of employee own, ownership structure, yep. and with our culture. And when you talk about bringing others in, trust is one of the pillars of that um, uh, culture. Mm. And we, you have a choice in, an, in a business, and this is hopefully valuable for your listeners. You have a choice in your business as to how you control that business. Mm. You can control it using some sort of set of uh, policies and procedures or some kind of version of a command and control model. Mm -hmm. People through this detail know where they stand, what their boundaries are, what they can and can't do, etc. Um, or you can use or you can run your business using trust. And we've chosen trust. Stephen Covey wrote a book called The Speed of Trust mm -hmm. and and he's he analyzed um it basically, his contention was businesses will only grow at the speed to how much trust there is in their organization. Mm -hmm. There's no way we could grow at 42% per annum without lots and lots of trust. And I used to be uh, quite hesitant about being proud of trust because of 
the person that stole from me yeah. and the things that have gone wrong across the 10 years. And people could point to that and say, yeah, see, trust doesn't work. But then I read an article about, as I educated myself more, I read an article about the CEO of the ANZ Bank in New Zealand. And he's a sort of a top five employee of ANZ. And I think ANZ, I've never worked there, but ANZ and the banking industry generally would be a good example of a command and control model. It's a heavily regulated industry. It's um, uh, it's massive. They're a massive organisation. I'd imagine that have great policies and procedures around things. Now, the CEO of the ANZ Bank in New Zealand got the sack for misappropriating his personal expenses. Mm. Turns out he was putting things through that ANZ were paying for things they shouldn't, school fees and so on and so forth. And um, so despite a great set of policies and procedures, a great command and control model, they had something go wrong as well. Doesn't always work. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, the Banking Royal Commission is probably further evidence of despite this great set of command and control models, stuff went wrong. Mm -hmm. And at that point I understood whether you use trust or command and control, things go wrong. Mm. The better question is what gives you the most upside? And the upside of trust is way greater than the downside of trust. You know, we don't, people are trusted to manage themselves. Under command and control, you have to manage your people and you have to manage your things around your people. We manage the things around our people, but people are trusted to manage themselves. It leaves us just to lead people. You know, instead of a bureaucracy, we have a really human-centered business. Instead of trying to control people, we unleash and Un we, we release and unleash people. Mm. Instead of trying to sort of coordinate, coordinate amongst silos, we have collaboration amongst teams. Instead of needing to motivate people, people don't, people motivate themselves because they feel inspired as to what they're part of. Mm. And so the, the upside of trusting people and bringing other people in to your circle is so incredibly powerful. I, I just can't, I can't imagine running a business differently. I'd love to unpack that. I and I can see. I mean, you got the runs on the the board, right? So for anyone who doesn't know your business, right, they could be skeptical and say, yeah. "Oh, well, oh, well and good, Stephen. You're the CEO, and you'll have, want to present a great brand out there, and yeah. that's fantastic, mate." But um, but there's a lot of truth in that because we can all see it as human beings. You put a human being in any system, you know, command and control of this environment that you look at, they're still a human being, right? Mm. We've got all these natural tendencies that we either enjoy functioning in or we don't. Um, now, when I look at a business, I see it as a collection of systems. Right? Yep. And, um, you know, the culture you've created is a collection of things you guys do to help cultivate that type of environment and behavior and the trust part that you describe. What are the, what are the systems that fit in this that's, that hold it together? Right? It's all well and good to say, mm -hmm. hey, go forth and conquer. Uh, we yeah. trust you. We'll back you. Go <laughs> for your life, mate. Yeah. Um, there's some rigor there, right? yeah. And yeah. I know there's rigor there, but yeah. what, what are the rigors that you believe really create that uh, that sense of trust in your culture? So, uh, it's not like we don't have policies and procedures. Um, it's more the weight that you put on either or, mm -hmm. and it's not like ANZ Bank doesn't have a culture, you know, or a, a, a good culture. It. it I suppose it's um, there's a weighting or an indexing to one side or the other that I'm talking about. Absolutely. Um, uh, but I we won a, an award this week. Uh, we're Australia New Zealand's um, recruitment agency of the, of the year. Um, 
based on customer feedback. It wasn't an award we entered. It was just there's a a customer feedback tool that we use and a whole lot of other recruiters that use. Now, um, we, I think there would be better organizations out there that have better systems around um, customer care. This is what our expectations are. This is what our non-negotiables are. This is what, you know, the, the, the IT system is going to make sure that you, um, are calling candidates at a certain, um, frequency. Uh, we're keeping in touch, et cetera. And they would, um, you know, they have NPS scores that measure it across the journey, et cetera, et cetera. And it's not like we don't have any of that, but I'm just, highlighting i think there'd be agencies that do that better than us Mm -hmm. and yet we won the award Mm -hmm. the feedback about our people was better than any other recruiter in australia new zealand so this in empowering people and putting people in a place where they feel safe they feel trusted they feel cared for they feel inspired they feel valued we're getting better results than anyone else. Mm. And our people, we don't have a mortgage on or, or, or a mortgage on all the good people in Australia. It's not like we have good people and other recruiters have bad people. Like our people are no better than anyone else's people. But our culture and environment allows us to get the best, the best out of everyone that we hire. Mm-hmm. And so that's the competitive advantage. It's the 10 to 20% that people bring to work with us that other organi- that same person wouldn't bring in another yeah. organization. So it may not be the answer that you expect, but that's our system. How do, what is, how do you drive high performance with your people? That's the question. And um, the way that we do it is through our culture. And um, and it's incredibly complex. It's incredibly difficult to execute. Mm-hmm. You know, um, uh, Gary Vaynerchuk. Vaynerchuk, yeah. yeah. You know, he talks about it. You, your organization need your organization needs to um, accommodate and bend itself to every single organ person that you have within your organization. It needs to be a tailored. Um, offering to each employee and that's what we do we my business partner christian he sits down with every single person in our business and his only focus is to ask how they are really yeah i, I wanted to ask you about that that's such a it's such a unique role it's, mm. i've seen it in other environments but it's uh it's a unique not a lot of businesses do what you, christian does or yep. what you guys do with christian so can you explain that and i'd love you to even go a little bit further and just explain what he does. But mm. uh, imagine Brad's an employee. Yep. Right. Brad's working in Sydney somewhere and he's chugging away. Killing doing, it, no killing doubt. It, killing no, it. Yeah, he's yeah. Probably, probably, probably one of the best. <laughs> no. But doing his job, doing his best. And um, and Christian walks in, right? So talk us about Christian's role. Yep. The purpose of that role and then what it practically looks like. Yep. Sure. So the number one factor that we've experienced in our experience in the 14 years of our business the number one factor in a person's performance at work 
is how life is going for them outside of work. So I'll just, I'll just repeat, this is really important. The number one factor in someone's performance at work is how life is going for them outside of work. If someone's life outside of work is quite functional, um, uh, reasonably balanced, they've got their ducks in a row, um, they're happy, they're healthy, et cetera, then they'll probably be able to, they'll have the headspace and the um, uh, the state of mind to perform, throw themselves into their job. But if life outside of work is really dysfunctional and they're very unhappy, they'll be distracted. They'll be focused on those things and they won't be able to perform well at work. And so um, care is a pillar of our culture. And lots of organizations say they care about their people. But in my experience in recruiting for those organizations, they care about their people as employees. They care about whether their, peop their people enjoy their jobs, whether they get along with their colleagues, whether they have a good work environment, whether they're paid reasonably, whether there are promotional opportunities. That's all good stuff to care about. Like we care about that too. But um, we care about our people as human beings mm. and how their life is going outside of work. Now, Christian wouldn't have a chat with Brad in the first six to 12 months of you being an employee mm -hmm. because there needs to be a relationship for you to feel comfortable to tell Christian how life is going really. Yeah. Um, we don't tell people how to live their lives, but there are certain universal things that are consistent for all of us that are lucky to grow up, grow up in Australia, lucky enough to grow up in Australia. So the framework that I use when I catch up with people is, and the things that I'm looking for is, if you're mentally and physically healthy, it's better than being mentally and physically unhealthy. Mm. If you have a functioning relationship with your family and your history, it's better than having a toxic relationship with your family and your history. Hobbies are good, friends are good. And if you have some um, love in your life, that's, that's, that's helpful too. Mm. And that's true for all of us. Every single human being in Australia, that's mm. true. So we don't tell people you should be married at 29 and have three kids rather than two kids and you know we recommend you live 15 minutes from the CBD or anything like that. We don't tell people how to live their lives, but we are there to support them in the basic um, pillars of what a sort of fulfilling, flourishing life looks like. Yeah, I, I love that. It's uh, And it is rare. Mm. It's rare to, uh, to see someone, you know, to go into that extra place, you know, Talking about professional development seems really logical at work. It's work, after all. Yeah. Right. So you're going into this um, human zone. We're talking about do you, you know, do you love you know, the, the the relationships you have, your history, yep. and your your relationship with those things. Mm -hmm. um, that would be for some people quite intimidating. I'd imagine maybe it's never ha actually ever happened to them before. No, they come and work for you, and they're like, wow, hang on, you're, hang on, why, what did you, why did you ask me that? Yeah, and to some degree, uh, and I've seen this, you know, on the other end of the spectrum where people, are, well, that's that's almost, you know, you're going going a bit too far here. Yeah, right, where you you're asking me questions that are private. Yeah, now of course, a, I'm sure you interview people to determine if they're going to fit into that sort of uh, discussion. Um, and and secondly, though, even if you do, it possibly will be. Uh, different for them. Yeah. What does it look like for that that new employee that that starts to immerse himself into your culture? Well, I, there's a lot to sort of unpack there. And, and the first thing I'd like to address is I get lots of 
um, fellow business owners, CEOs, any leaders really mm. that say to me, Cart's surely we haven't passed the day where I can pay someone to do a job and expect them to do that job. Yeah. I'm paying them a wage. I should be able to come in and do that job. Like that is, that, that we shouldn't have moved past that. I shouldn't have to worry about how their marriage is going or, you know, whether they're bloody playing basketball on a Wednesday. Um, and we haven't passed that. Yeah. Like this isn't... Um, what I'm talking about is trying to gain how we've gained a competitive advantage, mm. how we have driven our success. So, yeah, you can still pay someone to do a job and expect them to do that job. But every single business out there, and Brad, you deal with lots of businesses like me, every one of them pretty much says that their most important asset in their business is people. They're people. So if that's true, if people are their most important asset, what I'm talking about is how do you gain a competitive advantage in the most important part of their business? Mm. And this is how we've done it. So, yeah, knock yourselves out. Still pay someone. You don't have to speak to anyone in your business about this stuff. But this is a way to gain competitive advantage. And in recruitment, everyone who has more experience is more successful because it's a game of relationships. So as time goes on, you gain more relationships and you therefore build more money. Mm. But the journey to that, you know, if you if you plot sort of experience and profitability on a graph, and you know, obviously the endpoint um, is up in the top right hand corner. The journey to that is not linear. Mm. It's not a straight line because as human beings, we're not robots. We have ups and downs, and um, lots of organisations that I see they sack people on a down because they don't know what's happening in their life, mm -hmm. because they aren't, don't care about what's happening outside of work, they don't know that their performance has dropped away because their mum's in hospital and um, their dad's hopeless. He can't cook. So not only do they have to visit their mum in hospital every night because she might not make it, they have to cook for their dad and take him meals every night so he can eat. And they just can't do what they used to do at work. Totally. And they're like, oh, this person's, you know, no good because their performance has dropped away. But we, because we care about what's happening outside of their work, we know their performance has dropped away because their mum's sick and in hospital. Mm. We don't sack them and then their mum gets better, gets out of hospital, she can cook for their dad again and they're, they're able to throw themselves back into their job. Mm. Folklore is really important to this because everyone, not, no one's experienced this before really because it's so uncommon in business yeah totally and so um it's their first place that they talk about their problems is with with their peers mm. they don't talk to us they talk to their colleagues they talk they don't even talk to a manager let alone the owner mm. and so they talk to their peers and it's really and you need your peers to pull you through you need your peers to go you can speak to the guys about this they're fantastic this is what's happened. That is what my experience has been. This is what I've seen before. You don't need to worry it's that they're okay. going to sack you. Mm -hmm. So folklore is so important in your organisation, and that folklore is built slowly. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't come. It doesn't. It's not a flick of the switch. It evolves over over time. Absolutely. So those moments continuously, and and, and what I hear in what you're saying is that there's this long game. Mm. Right? Now there's the other theory in business: the old slow to hire, quick to fire. Yep. Right. So do you, when you look at um, betting on someone to, to, to play the long game, mm -hmm. 
um, they have hit a hit a hit a road a bump in the road. Things aren't ideal at home. Whatever it is that's influencing that performance, and you will yep. support them through that. At what point are you asking the question? Is this is this good for our business? Uh, is, the, is this person going to make it? Is this person a good fit? What are the, some of the things that you notice that you look for to say they're they're going to be yeah. the right person to back longer term? I love business truisms. Mm. I, I don't know. I, I I don't think you've got many of them, Brad. But you hear guys go out. And, you know, people go out and say, you know, what's true in business is slow to hire, quick to fire. Mm. What's true in business is if you don't know your numbers, you don't know your business. Now, I don't agree in either either of those. We're slow to – sometimes we're slow to hire. Sometimes we're fast to hire. Yeah. Because to get the right person, we're going to move quickly because it's competitive. Yeah, Talent totally. is scarce. Yeah, totally. Um, uh, we don't fire quickly. We fire slowly. I don't believe in if you don't know your numbers, you don't know your business. Richard Branson, he didn't even know what net profit was. Until he was like, you know, the three billion dollar turnover business. Yeah. I, I, my, my version of that is, if you don't know your people, you don't know your business. Mm. Um, but uh, the point at which we, like, obviously, people leave Sharp and Carter. It's not like everyone that's been here and yeah. um, you know they don't leave in a box. Yeah, two thousand and nine <laughs> is still here today. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, but really, the point at which the point at which we part is really the point at which when it's not right for the person mm -hmm. because recruitment's not right for everyone and it doesn't make everyone happy. It's a really hard job. Mm -hmm. And um, so that's our driver. Is this, should we persist because this is the right job for them? But if it's not the right job for them, they come to that realisation themselves. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and that's really the sort of um, tipping point that collectively we get to. Yeah, it might be sometimes us that suggests it. Is this the right job for you? Is this job making you happy? Does this job suit you? And it might be them just putting their hands up and going, "I'm not really. I don't. I love it here. It's always the case. They say I love it here. I love the culture, but I don't love recruitment. Mm. And so I'm sad to be leaving. But I. I want to do the right thing by you guys. You've always done the right thing by me. I uh, I can resonate with that, and I and I think for myself, if I'm going to share a personal story, and I'd love your opinion on this as well. Is recruitment is tough, you know. The mm. uh, I, I spent a bit of time in the game, uh, and the thing for me that I noticed there's two things I noticed in recruiters, right? So one is most people don't wake up. As a you know, eighteen year old or finishing their HSC and say, I want to be a recruiter. No, most most of the time, not all the time. There's a massive generalization. There's they're a little bit lost, and somehow they find recruitment. Mm -hmm. right? So there's, that's one thing, and I'd love you to talk about that. The other part is that I'd often go to a barbecue and I'd say, oh, they'd say, What are you in? What game are you in? What, what sort of work are you? Oh, I'm in the recruitment game, and you know, you get the the eyes roll. Yeah. No. Recruiters, geez, they're the worst. They're the worst. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then you hear all the experiences they've had, right? Which is fair because they have had them. Yeah. Um, so when it when it comes to uh, you know attracting and noting the types of people that do really well in this game, what, what do you what do you notice about those people um, that kind of can work well in this in in the recruitment sector? Uh, I I think one of our uh, one of the factors in our success is we've perhaps 
um, accommodated a greater variety of personalities that have been successful in recruitment than most recruiters. Mm. Um, the, the, the stereotype, that's, that's a negative term, the, 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 the normal uh, personality that does well in recruitment is incredibly driven, very ambitious. They're an extrovert that loves being around people. Um, they, they're, and they're very competitive. That tends to be uh, what, mo what most high performers traditionally look like in recruitment. Um, but I think we've accommodated a much greater range of personalities that have also been successful with us that are outside of that, that um, bring much more um, uh, perhaps nurturing skills rather than competitive skills. Mm -hmm. um, they... Uh, they're perhaps diligent and quiet rather than extroverted and loud. Mm, mm. And um, and and really we've found a way to get the best out of lots of different types of people mm. um, rather than just, you know, one person, one personality type. Mm. Well, perhaps maybe that point about the stereotype is is an interesting observation of the industry. So if you think about why people get frustrated sometimes with recruiters, they're pushy. They're abrupt. Yeah. They're moving too fast. They're not. They don't make me feel heard. Yeah. They um they seem to bias their own needs over my needs. Yeah. Which I think is the probably the most common. Yeah. Agree. I think this job's good for you. Well, why is it good for me? Yeah. Well, yeah. The rationale is all my rationale that I'm going to spin out at you. That's a, a sell job on mm. why I think you should say yes, not why it is good for you. Yeah. Um. So uh, I know you've talked a lot about culture and 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 the, the types of people there quite broad and you know perhaps there's something about the way you show up that makes it also a great customer experience so mm -hmm. does the culture that you're creating internally does that spin out into the the customer journey and while there's not a process per se or a strong system that you describe around that does that naturally permeating to care for customer care for clients journey like yeah. what do you what do you notice in the client side well, this award that we won is evidence of it. Mm. You know, despite a lack of, or, or perhaps not as sophisticated systems, mm. um, uh, the customer experience has been the best in Australia, and New Zealand. Mm. The, um, I, I touched on it earlier. We 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 don't have a mortgage on just great people, mm. and um, and I encourage anyone that I speak to about our story. To think about their own leadership experience, not just leading people, but being led. Mm. Who are the coaches that they've had? Sports coaches that have gotten the best out of them. Who are the teachers? Who are the community group leaders? You know, all the leaders at work, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Mm. Who got the best out of you, and how did they do it? That's where we always start when we're training leaders. Mm. T tell me about the leaders you've had in your life. Who are the parents, etc. And, um, and it's. They always talk about they they really got to know me. They knew what made me tick. They um, they really understood me. They were very supportive to me. They were incredibly encouraging. You know those types of words and sort of terminology. But then you know in my experience, ten years in a big corporate, I was always told, "Carts, every annual review, Carts, you're too good to people." You need to be firmer. You need to be stricter with people. You need to be harder on people. You're too soft, mate. And why is it in a business sense we forget 
all the great leadership. We forget about these examples of these people that got the best out of us using a sort of um, uh, ways and uh, theories and approach approaches is the word I'm looking for mm. approaches to leadership that's so um, uh, diametrically opposed to what we generally experience in business. Yes, it's yes. crazy. Yeah, it's weird. Yeah, and so um, just replicate what you already know. What you know works for human beings. Replicate that in your own business and you as a as a leader. Mm. But it's interesting. The you could argue, you know, and I see this with with um, with many leaders is this this you know where you are a more compassionate type of person that there's this encouragement of a harder edge. But interestingly, what I'm noticing in your the way you always communicate, and we've communicated outside of this as well, but mm. today particularly. Um, I think any listener could hear that you're quite strong around the principles on which you operate. Yeah. Right. So there is a hard line or hard dynamic which helps people have that clarity of where they stand with you. Yeah. Now that might present as a more a soft concept, let's say, um, but you are clear around the principles in which your culture operates, and and we haven't gone into all of the, the dynamics of the culture, but. Where, in what ways do you believe you are very clear as a leader? Um, you are very perhaps harder or, or stronger in terms of the principles that you uphold. Um, I am. I'm very. I'm a very principled person, and uh, I'm not a judgmental person. But I. I have very strong values. Um, I. I'm very. I'm very hard on, I suppose, things like, I, I suppose what I'm hard on is you you as a leader, your business and your team and the way you lead is you are leadership, mm. right? Who you are as a person is leadership. If people don't aspire to be like you, you're going to find leadership really hard. Mm. If you're a terrible spouse you don't treat your spouse well you're not a good parent you don't treat the waiter well in the restaurant you um you're screaming at the umpires at the foot you know at, at your kids soccer game people won't aspire to be that person mm. and so i suppose i'm very what i'm very hard on is you can't turn up to work one way and be a different way outside of work mm. You can't talk about trust. I can't talk about trust being such an important pillar of our culture if I'm cheating on my wife. Mm. Because people are like, what are you talking about? They read through it very quickly, yeah. don't they? Yeah. And so um, I'm very big on that, that you have to, you have to reflect who you, are, who you are in real life has to reflect the leader that you want to be. Mm. And so we can't have people in the business that are doing the wrong thing outside of work, but might be doing all the right things at work because it just, it long-term will, it'll break down. Mm. And so I'm, I suppose that's one thing I'm very, very strict on. Sure. Yeah. yeah. And so you believe how I show up is how everyone will see me regardless of who I am or where I am and what, at what point in my life. Yep. Um, and do you, when you say that you're hard on that, are you expecting others? To be like that, and if they don't, what's the consequence? They couldn't work here, mm. so it'll show up really yeah. quickly, and you'll have a good conversation about that. Yeah, 
Yeah, yeah. great. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Now, don't get me wrong, like, you know, people have marital troubles and um and people do, I suppose, you know, have issues where they might, you know, go elsewhere or, or whatever, using that as the example. Yeah. Um uh so I'm not, but I suppose it's you know, it's it's then is that ongoing and systemic behavior that you know is um creeps into creeps everything into else. everything else mm. or was it just a you know we all are human beings we all make mistakes mm. so i you know don't get me wrong it's not like um uh one strike and you're out sort of thing and how people react and feel and behave and you know um and and what choices they make from there is probably the more important thing. Mm. Well, usually there'd be a, a, you know, particularly when someone's doing something that's out of character, there's a sense of remorse anyway. Yeah, correct. Right? So it's, there's a, there's a, the, yeah, that idea of being that leader is when it's not congruent. And if you can notice that, yep. it's powerful. And I think for a lot of business owners, you know, and, and leaders I've worked with, I'll often say to them, it's far easier to generate your values around who you normally are. Correct. You know, it's all it's all well and good for someone to say, well, Sharp and Carter, you know, largest uh, recruitment agency in Australia, privately owned, um, very successful culture. People love working there. High retention rate. I'm going to copy them. Yeah, it's not it's not possible, is it? No, because it's not everyone's life experience either. Mm. Like um, my life experience was, I I. Um, I grew up in a sort of strong Christian household. Yeah. It wasn't like fundamentalist Christian. It was sort of very liberal church. You know, they had women ministers and homosexual ministers. And, you know, it was all about your behavior rather than what you believe. They don't believe that Mary was a virgin or, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, uh, I played a lot of team sport and everything good that had happened in my life had happened because other people were out there supporting me. Mm. My mum and my dad, my brother and my sister, my coaches and my teammates at sport, um, et cetera. That was my life experience. And it's not everyone's life experience. Mm. For some people, everything they've achieved in their life happened because they made it happen. Mm. They, they made it happen despite a lack of support. And it would be difficult for that person to do this model because it's just not their life experience. Totally. And so, yeah, I, I, your business is a reflection of you and um, and your life experience and your approach and values. So, yeah, I tell everyone about our model. Our model is not a secret, but people can't execute our model because it hasn't been people's necessarily. It hasn't mm. been people's life experience. Mm. Now, I think uh, at a more macro level, we are working with human nature. Mm. Our business um, is a reflection of what's made human beings as a species so successful mm. that you know, the chemicals that are released in your brain, for lots of organizations, they um, they utilize uh, dopamine. So if you do this, Brad, for me, I'm going to give you a weekend away at a hotel. I get a little wow factor yeah, for a while. Yep. Correct. Short-term, you know, um, uh, good chemical, good, good, good feeling. That's quite addictive. Yeah, that's right. Um, so they utilize dopamine and they utilize cortisol. Brad, if you don't do this, I'm going to sack you. And then you got fight or flight. Yep. Okay, well, I've got to get in there and I'll work 14 hours for the next the, three the weeks. Stress and kicks in stress. and off I go. Yep, yep, correct. And I reckon that's how most organizations in the modern era run their business, a combination of dopamine and cortisol. We utilize 
much more long-lasting chemicals, which are, um, which are um, serotonin, uh, serotonin and oxytocin. Mm. Thank you, bro. Um, and they are the chemicals that are released by doing things for others rather than just yourself. You know, we go and kill an antelope and bring it back, and don't you don't just eat it yourself. You share it with your tribe. Mm. And the and oxytocin, which is the chemicals released when you in the company of friends or you you know in the company of the person you love, mm. and we utilize those chemicals, and they're much more sustainable because they're not short. They're they're long term, long lasting, and so. Even though it's, it is de- dependent upon your life experience, we are working with human nature mm. about it and with what's made us successful as human beings. Yeah, and I've noticed that, like, you know, I asked that question about systems in your culture before, but, you know, an example of what I've seen is, you know, you will, you'll have just, just events where you're hanging out with people. Yep. You know, we're here to celebrate some achievement, but we're also here to celebrate just each other. Yeah. And I get the sense that being the team first is is probably more important than the achievement. The achievement comes anyway. Yeah. Now that's the dopamine side. Yeah. But the hanging out with you know, you know your your area team or your regional team or whatever group you've just you know you're looking at, you've got a very strong bias to ensuring there's connection. Yeah. And that that shows up quite a bit. Are there are there specific little parts of the recipe that you guys go? Yeah, this works. This this helps us maintain this. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, most organisations have some sort of reward framework that rewards your high achievers right and now in the recruitment industry it is if you qualify for some sort of annual trip where if you bill a certain amount of money you make a certain number of placements you qualify for some sort of annual trip Mm -hmm. and um i've been you know when i was at, at at my previous employer I went on heaps of them. I was the biggest biller in Australia. That was nice, right? But I perhaps didn't think about it at the time, but I really recognize it now. We do something similar, but instead of having it as a, um, you know, these are the metrics you've got to go on, we set a company-wide target. And if the company achieves that target, everyone goes away and celebrates. Mm-hmm. From me right to you know, the the person that's paid the least in the organisation mm-hmm. and whether you've been here for one day or 10 years, everyone's done something to contribute to the company's success mm-hmm. and everyone should celebrate. Yeah. And what I didn't recognise at the time when I was part of the high achievers group was how demotivating that was for everyone else that helped me be a high achiever. Mm-hmm. What about my secretarial support who used to stay up late and help me format shortlists to take to clients she gets no reward yeah totally and um and that's been incredibly powerful for us that this recognition that we are all part of something greater and everyone should deserves to be rewarded and um praised and um celebrate the success of this greater group um and it's it's been very, very powerful for us, and we are really cognizant of, I suppose, the your your organization, any organization is a um, an ecosystem, and I think lots of organizations they focus on their apex predators. <laughs> we want to, you know, we're going to make sure, like, how do we get whites. how do we get more sharks, right? Mm-hmm. How do we get more killers out there that can go and you know kill it. 
You can go and make heaps of money. But everything is an ecosystem because you've got to have your microorganisms as well that eventually feed, you know, support your sharks. Mm. And you, you need to understand the complexities and, the, and um, that ecosystem and appreciate every part of your business rather than just your, your white pointers. Yeah, it's a lovely way to put it, actually. And it's, it's interesting because that philosophy for me is something that I've learned over the years. I mean, I grew up in organizations where, you know, the great white got fed. Yeah. And, you, you know, and the, the, you know, the helicopter ride and the boat thing and all these different, you know, they're great. They're, they make feel, you feel really good about it. Um, but it didn't, doesn't feel right holistically. Um, yeah. and you know, you, you know, one of the philosophies I take is there's a fit for purpose way to do that based on who your, what your culture is. Yeah. But that's something I learned, you know, for you, what's something you've learned or perhaps even a better question? What have, what's something you've changed your mind on as yeah. you've, as you've led uh, the business and, and as you've built this journey, what's something you've changed your mind on? Uh, probably the thing that springs to mind, um, and for anyone that's seeing sort of video out there, it might not surprise them, um, uh, divert, the power of diversity is something that I, I have appreciated. I don't know that necessarily my, uh, my mind has been changed, like mm. I've had um, been incredibly privileged to have, you know, my mum won an Order of Australia medal last year. Like I've had great female role models. It wasn't something that I had to change my mind on. Mm. Um, that you know, women in business are incredibly valuable. But I have appreciated and understood the power of diversity in in uh, business, mm. and I'm now an active. I, I drive that diversity in my organization and it's it's been a journey of education and enlightenment and the results of our business are, you know, that's a major factor in the success of our business is, um, is the change in diversity that we've had in our business, you know, the number of women, um, et cetera, that we have in our organization, that it's not just white men anymore mm. and it's been incredibly powerful to us and i know that i get you know when i is i'm very passionate about it and i get lots of people that say to me is in recruitment at the very pointy end at the sort of micro level div, a, a, the pursuit of diversity and every organization pretty much these days is proud of pursuing diversity mm. um but at at a micro level, at an individual level, diversity is discrimination mm. in, in a lot of cases. To pursue diversity, you have to discriminate. And at, a, at an individual level, I got a lot of people very, very upset and rightly slow. Like, I know I didn't get that job because I'm not a man. I know I didn't get that job because I'm not a woman, mm. because they needed a better gender balance, you know, et cetera, in the organization. And, um, and so it's very challenging when you boil it down to that micro individual level mm. because it's really unfair at that level. Mm. But at a very macro level, 51% of the population in Australia are female. 60% of the university graduates in Australia are female and 3% of the CEOs in Australia are female. Mm. Now, that's not right. That's not 
That's we shouldn't accept that. So there's there's a there's a spectrum there, and I I, I just encourage people to try to acknowledge that both of those things are true. Mm-hmm. Diversity is discrimination at an individual level, mm-hmm. but it's not right that three percent of the CEOs in Australia are female, mm-hmm. and and somewhere in the middle lies a balance between those two things. I I, I agree, and I I think. There'll be people with various views listening to this. Um, and you said you used this interesting phrase, the pursuit of diversity, right? So the pursuit of diversity is is in order to do something else. It's, you know, diversity is just a state. Yeah. So we have different types of opinions, views, people, type, you know, diversity is just breadth of um, uh, you know, op- options in a situation. So What's the benefit that you go for? What, what's, what's motivating about this for you? Well, I, my experience and my observation mm-hmm. is that uh, businesses absolutely, without doubt, I haven't seen many examples where it's not like this, mm-hmm. businesses without doubt are more successful with more diversity. Right. So that's, that's, yeah, diversity is its, its own thing. But what it leads to, like all of these things, is more success. Mm. Like, um, my profit has grown 43%. It's outstripped the, my growth, my revenue growth rates. My profit has grown 43% per annum every, on average, every year for 10 years. Now, everyone out there, that's listening to this would go, oh, if I could grow my profit 43% per annum every year, I'll take that, (laughs) right? So so that's good. Yep. And part of the reason for that is an increased focus and um, an improvement in the diversity of our organisation. You you can't serve your customers if you don't reflect your customers. Totally. You can serve them. That's untrue. You, You serve them better. If you reflect your customer base, mm-hmm. um, uh, in leading your people, you lead them better if you reflect your people. Mm-hmm. If all of your leaders are men, well, it's not, you're not going to lead them as well as you, your women, as well as if you've got women leaders that can also lead them. It's an abundance mindset. Mm. This is leading to much more success, which is leading to much more opportunity for you. And um, this isn't, you, you can't you can't address things in isolation. These organizations that do have these types of policies and, and do try to pursue diversity leads to more success that gives you more career opportunities. You know, what shows up with you, Stephen, and your, your, your business and all of the people I've, you know, had the pleasure of getting to know in your business is that you, you do live this, you know, and, and it is, it is real. It's not just yeah. a, it's not just a story and it's not just you turning up here today, um, you know, fanfaring your business. It's, it's lived every day. And I, I applaud you for that, mate. Thank you. Um, well, I, I, one of my favorite leadership quotes is, um, your actions speak so loudly. I can't hear the words that you're saying. And yeah, um, we've all we've all had leaders and organisations that write wonderful things on the board, but your live your lived experience doesn't reflect that. 
well, it's any chance of that working is lost. Yes. So it's much more, you know, about your day-to-day actions and how they reflect you as a leader mm. than the things that you say, the the things that you write down. Mm. And that and that kind of ties back to what we were talking about before, you know, building if you're going to build a business, build it around you because you'll yep. naturally propel yourself in. That's okay if that's not about you know, you building a huge culture with a, with a you know 180 staff, but there's a lot of ego talking when we when we want that big big team, right? Yeah. And so, how do you how do you manage that? But probably in wrapping up today, mate, um, the question I have is just where to now, right? There's been a lot of achievement. Mm. There's been um, a lot of success. Um, what's the future hold for Sharp and Car? What's the future hold for Stephen? Yeah, uh, we've grown to 180 people without any um, any sense of or any version of a growth plan. So we've never said the business should look like this in two years or three years. Our our growth has been um, opportunistic. That we've um, we've grabbed opportunity as it's presented ourselves. You know you. You, um, if you're forever looking at the stars or aiming for the stars, you neglect to see the flowers at your feet. And um, so I've never really thought about my business in that way. The business should look like X. It should be, it's 180 people. It should be 250 by the end of 2024. Um, uh, that said, I also subscribe to the theory, and this is one business truism that I do subscribe to. If your business is not growing, it's dying. Mm. Because you, especially in recruitment, if you're not providing career opportunities for people, then they'll go elsewhere to secure career opportunities. If I was to say to people, I've made enough money, guys, I don't want the risk of any more people in my organization. So let's just shut the doors and just keep rolling with what it isn't mm. now. People will say, well, that's great for you, Cards, but what about me? I want to build my wealth. Mm. So if, you, if you're not willing to let me grow my team, then I'll go elsewhere. And... So this business will keep growing, otherwise it'll be it'll be dying. Go the other way. Um, and uh, and it may be that at some point we do need a growth plan. We do need to deliberately say, okay, we're going to go to New Zealand, we're going to go to Hong Kong, to Singapore, to Japan, because I I I'm passionate. I, I'm obviously passionate about my business, and I'm I'm more passionate about what my business represents for everyone. Mm-hmm. That there is a different way to do business. And there's a different way to be successful. That's not about smashing people or, um, you know, grinding people into into the dirt to get every last inch of effort out of them. Mm. Um, and I believe that that example that we set is something that I can take to the world. Mm. You know, I can take overseas and. Um, human beings are human beings and this approach to how we look after and care and nurture our people could be successful Mm. all around the world it's amazing we started the conversation uh a guy that was happy to take 200k go and start a business have six people yeah you know put food on the table look after (laughs) look after the family and, and now we're talking about you know the impact of a culture and the message that can leave and the the legacy that can leave. Yeah. Um that's crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. It's good though. Yeah. Yeah. So um you know, I, I'll leave on that mark because I think, you know, that I who knows where that's going to go. And I think the beauty of what you've just described here for for others is that there's no sort of um uh, you know predictable path. 
you know, you follow the instincts of the values that you believe in. You follow something that you're very, very much um, going to live and create mm. um, and put people around you that are rowing in the same direction. Um, now, that's easy to say, hard to execute, yep. um, but it's very, it's a very meaningful message. So, yeah, imparting any, any advice for some of the aspiring or in current business owners, business leaders, people in the shoes that you have um, in terms of the approach that you've taken? Um, uh, it's not easy. It's, uh, it's uh, leadership and business ownership is, is really difficult. And, uh, w one thing you said, Brad, about, um, it's difficult to try to pretend to be someone that you're not because you'll constantly trip yourself up is very, very true. This place to start is, um, is being yourself and being authentically yourself. And, um, and you'll attract people that resonate with that because there's lots of people, successful people that don't do it my way. They do it a different way, but it's successful for them. Mm. And, um, uh, but persist and, um, uh, be determined in, um, in your effort day to day and good things will arise from it. Totally agree, my friend. Well, I think we've got to let you go. You've got a big day to get into. Uh, mate, I've enjoyed today, so thank you. We could probably go on for another hour or so, but uh, uh, for our listeners, I hope you enjoyed that. If, if you uh, do want to look up Stephen, where would we find you, mate? Thesharpencarter.com.au and uh, on my own LinkedIn pro profile, I post, post a lot of content about the way that we operate. So please feel free to send a connection request on, on LinkedIn as well. Good man. All right, mate. Thanks All right. again. Thanks, Brad. See you next Cheers. time. Bye.